Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Hey, welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. My name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors here at Epicos. Glad that you're joining us. Those of you here in person at West Dallas, those joining via broadcast and online. Uh, However you're hearing me, glad that you're here. We have some exciting stuff to look at from God's Word. John chapter 15, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to be picking it up in verse 18. But the context, again, is this is a biography of the life of Jesus Christ. And John, one of his original disciples, wrote this. He was an eyewitness to it. The first part is about his public ministry, about the signs and even wonders that Jesus did. The second part of the book, starting in, in chapter 13, is about his road to the cross and his death and his resurrection. But before then, there's this in-depth, intimate teaching that Jesus just pours out to his disciples. And the the center point of that entire teaching we covered in chapter 15, a couple weeks ago when we looked at verse 6 or verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we, we talked about how do we abide, right? We, we talked about how to, you know, spend time with the Lord each and every day. And I challenged you, right? And, and one of the ways that, that I uh, kind of track that is I have a journal and I just kind of write just kind of the day's date, you know, the day of the week, what, what date it is, maybe a, a verse, just part of the verse that kind of God used to speak to me. And I've been doing this for a number of years. I talked about this. But abiding is always challenging, and I realized because the week after I preached on it, I kind of fell out of my rhythm, <laughs> and I came back, and it was like five or six days. Oh, no. Now, I'd preached other things. I'd done, you know, I'd been in the Word for other reasons, but this time set apart to just specifically abide is something you and I always have to be monitoring. We always have to be pressing in. Do you have a way to know and track, hey, how long has it been since I've really set aside time? To, to spend with the Lord. I was talking to my wife, uh, and she reminded me that when we had four young children, there was no such thing as a quiet time because there was no quiet time in our house, right? And, and she said, the only way that I could spend time with God was to have my Bible open on the kitchen counter all day long, and I, you know, got two words, and then you're running over here, and you're doing something. Maybe you got a long commute. Maybe you got odd hours, Right? Listen to it. The Bible app is free. The, 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 the guy with a very soothing voice will narrate it to you. It's fantastic. Let the word wash over your heart. Abide. Lean into some of the other disciplines we've been talking about. They're in the back of your study guide. Abiding is the context of what we're talking about. I share all of that because I'm going to be saying, as you abide today. So Jesus is assuming, after this challenge to his disciples, that they are abiding in him. They are abiding in him. And and he starts with some some strong words. He just got done teaching us to love one another. And then in verse 18, let's pick it up. Bible that you have with you, Bible in front of you, Bible on your smartphone. Verse 18 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So Jesus has gone from speaking about loving one another to the hatred that the world will have for us. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, remember, they're about to see him on his road to the cross being violently executed. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Jesus said the, the kind of the reverse of this or in the positive, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. And he's saying the reverse of it now. If they hate me, they hate the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And Jesus here is talking about the way how he has come to his own covenant people, the chosen people of God. They have rejected him. They have persecuted him, and that will continue all the way to the cross. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's just saying in the reverse what he was saying of abiding. He's calling us to abide in him. I'm speaking these things so that you will abide in me. I, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away, not abiding, to keep you from wandering away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. We saw that with Saul, turned Apostle Paul, right, in, in the accounts in the book of Acts. And all throughout the early time of the church up to until today, 16 verse 3, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour, the hour of these things comes, you may remember that I told them to you. As you abide, you will be opposed. As you abide, you will be opposed. Uh, pastor Tommy, uh, our West Dallas campus pastor here, uh, joined staff uh, back this spring, and just the other day I asked him what was one of his favorite things about being here in Milwaukee. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was surprised when he said being surrounded by Packers fans, okay? Uh, turns out, you know, he, he moved here from Ohio, and, uh, you know, it's hard being a Packers fan living abroad, right? You know, you're living behind enemy's lines. I don't really understand why anybody would choose to be a, a fan of the Browns or the Bengals. I don't understand that. Um, but I guess there are a number of them that live in the state of Ohio. And that's where he lived, and he just kind of got caught flack all the time. I can relate. I lived in Minneapolis-St. Paul and lived among uh, the Vikings for a number of years. It, you know, it was rough. It was rough. I, I share that so that you don't think that that's what this passage is talking about. This passage is not talking about you're on Team Jesus and people are going to give you a rough time. Jesus is talking here about serious persecution and laying down your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you abide, you will be opposed. The word that he uses first is hated. That's a strong word. It's an emotional word. But we also see the sense in this passage of rejection, even blame, persecution, attack, physical harm. Now, let's clarify. 
is all the opposition in your life related to the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, it's not. You and I live in a sin-sick world. It's been infected with the curse of sin, and we see it in all sorts of ways, from, from just natural disasters to disease to death itself. You and I experience all sorts of, of harm because of our own sinful choices and the sinful choices of others. In fact, when I look at the relational problems that I have in my life, they're normally caused by what I've said and done, right? But there's also just circumstances where, where we can be wronged by others just in a general way. It's not always related to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus is talking about here is specifically the kind of opposition and the kind of persecution that will happen because of your identity, because of your abiding in Jesus Christ. Um, this still happens today. Just this year, in the first six months of 2021 in the country of Nigeria, over 3,000 Christians have been killed most by machete attacks where militants come into a village and slaughter a whole village. This year. And there are men and women, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are right now in this moment giving their life to gather and worship. They're being persecuted. They're laying down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think we have to be careful when we talk about I'm being persecuted, right? I don't think we quite experience that kind of persecution. But I do think that what Jesus is saying is, in general is that we are opposed. When, whenever we are moving forward on mission for Jesus, there will be opposition. Notice the positioning. Notice the positioning that Jesus is, is uh, teaching here. He's saying that there's the world and then there's him, and then there's those of us who abide in him. And Jesus is saying, I'm entering into this opposition first, and I receive it first. You're receiving it because you're in me. But he's also teaching us, he's adding to his other teaching, because he was already teaching us about the system of the world, right? And we talked about how when we are in Christ, we are set apart from the system of the world. And then last week, Jesus taught, uh, we, we heard... Pastor Frank taught, Jesus wasn't here, don't worry. Um, Frank taught about Jesus' teaching that we are chosen, right? Jesus is saying, I chose you. And we kind of learned about this doctrine of election. And there's some resources as you're kind of wrestling through that and thinking through that. Um, but yes, we, we choose to follow Jesus, but behind the scenes in kind of a uh, God's sovereignty sense, God chooses us. He makes that intentional choice. We were dead in our sins and he makes us alive. The, the very gift of salvation is a gift from God. And then he's combining these two thoughts that we are set apart from the world and we are chosen. And he specifically says, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so Jesus is going first. He's entering in purposefully into the system of the world and he's doing battle with the ruler of the world for what purpose? He's on a mission of redemption and reconciliation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is rescuing and redeeming his sons and daughters out of the system of the world that is going to lead to separation from God the Father. 
And, and we see that even in the beginning of the book of John. Take a look at John chapter 1. Uh, kind of this, this part of the prologue, uh, verses 9 through 13. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Creator God in human form, Jesus. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. Here it's talking about his chosen people, his covenant people. And his own people did not receive him. Rejection. But an intentional going, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's intentionally going, and then verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. As you abide, you will be opposed, but we, we need to understand the teaching that Jesus is giving us here and how, how this works because he's explaining that we will be hated by the world, but we should understand that we're not on a mission of hate, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, get your hate face on, let's go. We're going to war. He clarifies we're on a mission of, of reconciliation, of redemption. As you abide, you will be opposed. There's this beautiful note of hope in verse 26. Take a look at this. But when the helper comes, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Which brings us to the second thing. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. As you abide, you will be empowered. As you abide, you will be opposed. But as you abide, you will be empowered. Empowered by whom? It's this, this helper, right? We looked at this several weeks ago. It's this untranslatable word, paraclete or paracletos. Not a parakeet. That's a bird you keep as a pet. Paraclete. And he is the helper. It's actually an office. As we look at what Jesus is teaching, it's an office like we think of the mayor, right? And different people occupy that office. And Jesus says, right now, he is the paraclete. He is the helper. He is the presence of God with his disciples in a very specific sense. But the new paraclete, the one who's, Jesus says, exactly like me or of the same kind as me, will come and occupy this office. He's teaching about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to take what was localized in Christ and make it universal for every believer. And he's talking about this future moment that we'll see in Acts chapter 1 where the Holy Spirit is poured out. But he's assuring his followers, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go away. Literally, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to go away. But then he's also going to ascend back up to heaven and he's going to go away in that sense. But he's clarifying, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the paraclete, the paracletos, to be your advocate, your helper, the, literally the one who comes alongside of the very presence of God. Now, next week, we're going to be going all the way through some different things that Jesus teaches us in depth about the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to steal from our passage for next week, but one of the things that we see, one of the ways that we see the Holy Spirit empower us in other parts of the New Testament is through something called spiritual gifts. And so spiritual gifts are something unique that God gives us when we believe in him. It's an empowerment by the Holy Spirit in a specific way. And so there's kind of all sorts of them listed in different places in the New Testament. Uh, here's just some of the spiritual gifts. Teaching, administration, mercy, 
spiritual gift of hospitality, spiritual gift of serving or helps, evangelism, giving, uh, meaning some people have the spiritual gift to give generously. Some people have the gift of faith, the gift of intercession, which is praying for other people in their needs, leading, encouragement, and there's some other ones. Spiritual gifts are not a natural ability. You don't have the spiritual gift of playing piano, okay? That's a, that's a, that's a natural ability, right? Uh, I once had somebody tell me they had the spiritual gift of hockey. That doesn't exist, okay? <laughs> but, but spiritual gifts is this manifestation, this empowerment by the Holy Spirit that accomplishes things that we can't just do and explain by our own natural effort, okay? So hopefully, the, the, those of us who are on the teaching team here at Epicos have the spiritual gift of teaching, and the Holy Spirit is using that teaching, not just in the literal words that we're sharing, but in a spiritual ministry, right? If you are part of a small group, it's very likely that your small group leader has the spiritual gift of shepherding. And as you are part of that small group and under their care, they are shepherding you and the release of the Spirit is happening and you're drawing closer to Christ, not necessarily because of any one thing that they're doing, but because of the ministry of their spiritual gift to draw you closer and shepherd you closer to Jesus. We have people uh, here who have the spiritual gift of administration and when they get involved in projects, it's just like they, things just line up. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, right? And, and it can be somewhat explained through their human activity, but often it's just this supernatural expression and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says will happen when we serve each other in the body of Christ. Uh, when you're around somebody who has the spiritual gift of encouragement, they might not say one encouraging thing to you, but you just feel like your spirit is uplifted, right? Or maybe you were hurting someone with the spiritual gift of mercy, and they, just, you, they bring healing and comfort to your heart in a very real way. So there's all of these different ways uh, that the Holy Spirit empowers us with these spiritual gifts. Now, some of you are going, yep, I'm familiar. I've kind of been growing in my spiritual gifts. Some of you are going, I've never heard of this before. This sounds a little weird. This is my first time at this church, okay? But it's true that God just empowers us in this unique way. The best way to begin to learn and understand your spiritual gifts is just to start serving. And uh, sometimes people will give these spiritual gift tests. I'm not a big fan of the test because I think it, you kind of, it's more trial and error. And what you do is you start serving and you'll get people affirming in areas that you're serving and, and wow, you're really doing great at this or this is where I see God working and it's kind of just above and beyond. It's unexplainable effort or unexplainable fruit that's not directly tied to effort. There's something supernatural about it. And I'll say this. Many people have something called the spiritual gift of helps or service, and that can be confusing because it's this beautiful gift that whatever you help with, God just kind of brings extra effort to, right? And so you're just going to go in whatever project you're in, you're going to be serving and pouring out, and God is just going to bring kind of this extra uh, manifestation of his spirit to that. Find your spiritual gift, live in it. Part of your purpose is wrapped up in the gifts that God has given you. So one specific way that we're empowered by the spirit is through spiritual gifts. And I also want to clarify that receiving the Holy Spirit is not a second work. Receiving the Holy Spirit is not a second work. So in our passage, Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, future tense. And there's other times where Jesus is teaching about this and he tells the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. We have to understand that Jesus and in, in the scriptures here are speaking historically that Jesus is talking about that place and that moment where 
where the disciples are, are they, it will be future tense. We see the release of the Spirit in sending of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1. But sometimes we then put ourselves in that, those passages of Scripture and we say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying to me, he will send the Spirit. In other words, I'm a follower of Jesus, but at some future point in my life, I'm going to receive the Spirit. In some churches, maybe you grew up in a church that taught this, they say there's kind of this second work of the Spirit, sometimes called baptism of the Spirit, and that we, are, we should be pursuing that so that we get the Spirit, and that it's one thing to believe and another thing to get the Spirit. And I just want to clarify what the Bible teaches about this is that there's no second work of the Spirit. And I'll, 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 I'll kind of show you what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what it's saying is when you heard... So someone talked about how you could have a personal relationship with Jesus and you heard this and then you received this truth by faith and you invited God into your life. You turned your life over to Jesus. Maybe you prayed some sort of prayer. Maybe it was personal. Maybe it was in church. Maybe someone kind of was sitting on whatever that moment where you turned your life over to God. At that moment, he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit. And uh, here's what it says in Romans uh, chapter 8. Just a couple of examples of this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Does not belong to him. So this, to create a construct where you are in Christ or belong to Christ, but do not have the Spirit, the Bible says that doesn't exist. That the moment you come to Christ, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like Jesus was a person. It's a spirit, but it's a person, right? He's a person. And we receive the Holy Spirit. You can't receive part of someone, right? It's all of someone. And he is indwelling us, the Bible says. Now, what is, how does this work out? Because when we come to Christ, we don't experience, you know, like everything in our life just becomes perfect overnight, right? By the way, if you're waiting for that to happen, right, you, you trusted Christ and everything is just like you're a perfect person and all of your issues are gone. Like, that's not how it works. Now, the, it's true. Sometimes when we turn our life over to Christ for the first time, he'll take things like serious addictions or he'll heal our marriage or heal a relationship or he'll do something dramatic. But there's a lot of areas of our life where we have to continually walk with him and surrender in obedience and yielding to the Spirit and there's kind of this, this um, more activity of the Spirit than becomes present in our life, right? And the Spirit is convicting us of sin and sanctifying us and leading us to Jesus, right? So there's this sense of a greater yielding to the Spirit, but it's not a second work of the Spirit. Now, if you grew up in a church that really made a lot of that, that could be confusing and you might have to talk to a pastor. I'm just sharing with you uh, kind of passages of, of what the Bible talks about but we shouldn't let it be a dividing point. We should just look at, at what the Scripture says about yielding to the Spirit. I think a, a helpful way to think about this, um, what, what, what it reminds me of is the first time that I tried to sail a boat. And uh, I was like at a YMCA day camp or something like that, maybe in junior high, whatever age you complain a lot, okay? 
And because I remember I just had, I was grumpy. It was like a cold day and it was kind of blowing. It's not the kind of day you would be at the beach. It's the kind of day that, you know, uh, you just want to be inside or, or something like that. And, and we had, I can't remember why, but it's like we had to like learn how to sail as part of this program. And so the, the, the guy who's teaching it is dragging me out there and there's a bunch of people and there's these little boats and you can't just get on the boat. You got to like wade through the water and climb on there. And, and then you're paddling out and it's blowing and we're paddling against the wind with these oars and we're trying to get out to a certain point. And it's just, I'm miserable. I want to be anywhere but there. And then the instructor hoists the sail. And as soon as it went up, the wind caught the sail and we were off. Gliding and sailing across the waves that we were just a moment ago hacking at with our oars. And it was one of the most exhilarating things. And we're sailing. You know, I felt like, you know, the, the scene in What About Bob? I'm sailing. I'm, you know. <laughs> It's, it, but it was this exhilarating moment that was nothing like all of the work before that because as soon as the sail went up and the wind caught it, we were off. And I think the same is true. There, there's this point where we need to put up the sail of dependence on God. We need to put up the sail of surrender. And that's when the Spirit catches that sail and we're off. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit is blowing. But some of us, we're just hacking at the water with our oars. We're trying to do things on our own strength. We're fighting the wind rather than yielding to the Spirit. Let me step out of metaphor for a minute and be very clear because some of you continue to try and turn your life over to God and surrender and yield and have His activity in your life and you keep hitting a wall after a wall and you just can't get traction. And you must understand that as you lean in, maybe you come back to church, you, you've already trusted Christ, but as you lean in and the Spirit begins to be active in your life, one of the first things that He's going to do is draw your attention to an area that you need to turn over to Him. Typically convicting you of sin and drawing you towards obedience. And you must let go of the thing in hand to receive the work of the Spirit. And it requires surrender. And some of you are hitting this wall with God because you won't let go of whatever that is. You just need to let go. You need to yield to the work of the Spirit. You need to be obedient to what He's calling you to do. And that's different. He, 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 if He's saying it to you, He's been saying it to you for a while. He's been prompting you and leading you towards it. And you're not going to take that next step in your walk with God until you surrender it, until you put up the sail of dependence and surrender. Just let go. Let go of the thing in hand. Let go of the or Stop trying to do it yourself and yield to the work of God's Holy Spirit in you. As you abide, you will be empowered. As you abide, you'll be opposed. As you abide, you'll be empowered. And finally, as you abide, you will bear witness. You will bear witness. This is what Jesus says in verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them that they're going to bear witness. Um, but back up one verse and realize the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And actually, in John 16, 14, just a few verses later, look there. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit will be witnessing to Jesus, will be glorifying Jesus. And here we have a little peek into kind of how the Trinity operates. So Jesus has been talking about his unity with God the Father, and he keeps pointing to God the Father, saying, I am simply sharing the message that God the Father has given me. I am on, I'm doing the work that God the Father has called me to do. And the Holy Spirit then is pointing to Jesus and saying, I, the Holy Spirit is, test, is witnessing to Jesus and glorifying Jesus, and Jesus is pointing to God the Father. Um, and, and part of that kind of helps us understand what the ministry of the Holy Spirit should look like in our life, and it's continually pointing us and drawing us to Jesus Christ. But part of what Jesus is saying when he talks about bearing witness, I would just kind of state in a broader way in saying it's living on mission for God, and it's often described as bearing witness. The disciples are literally about to bear witness. They've been bearing witness up till this point of what Jesus has been doing, his signs and wonders. But they are also going to be witnesses after he is raised from the dead, along with hundreds of other people who experience a resurrected Christ, who can't help but just tell people, no, Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. I saw him, I bear witness that his side was pierced, that blood and water flowed, and I bear witness that he rose from the dead. This is why the church explodes. This is why we see in the book of Acts thousands of people are, are coming and, and believing in Jesus and the Messiah, and the church is exploding exponentially because of all of these witnesses, these eyewitnesses to, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and these disciples will bear witness to it. But we also bear witness because the same resurrected Jesus, though we didn't lay our eyes on it, we have experienced his transforming power, and we have a story to tell, and we bear witness. Now, I just want to clarify that sometimes, how do I put this? We try and minimize what God calls us to do. And so when it comes to bearing witness, we'll kind of say this thing, well, there's a verbal witness and then there's a lifestyle witness. And the lifestyle witness is just where I live a good life and people figure out how to follow Jesus, right? And I just want to clarify that there's no such thing as an undercover Christian. You know, like, this is my secret Christian badge. I'm, I'm an undercover Christian. Don't tell anybody. But I think sometimes, to loop back to what, we, what Jesus was teaching before, that when we, we know, we know that as soon as we go public and we, we state in some sort of situation that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to begin to experience either major or subtle opposition. And we want to avoid that. We know that when we clarify with our friendship group that we're a follower of Christ, it means we're not going to get invited to certain parties. It means in some work situations when you say I'm not going to work on Sunday or, or you clarify that you're a follower of Christ, it means you're going to get passed over for the promotion or, or there's going to be some other kind of opposition in a vague way. We just know in certain situations that it's going to cause problems for us. And so then we say, well, I'm not going to bear witness. I'm just going to have a lifestyle witness. Now, that's good. God, when we live a life that honors God, the Bible says it brings glory to God. That's not a bad thing. But I just want to clarify you cannot witness if you're not opening your mouth. 
You must bear witness with what you say. That's what witnessing is. And what specifically you're doing is you're bearing witness to what God has done in your life. Let me just simplify it and say it's just your story. It's just your story. How has God changed your life? When did you meet God? What did he rescue you from? And sometimes that's a very dramatic story, and sometimes we don't feel like it's dramatic, but it's still dramatic because he has rescued you. He has saved you. You are his son or daughter. And as we share that story, it's important that we continue to share that story with each other because, as I've said before, we kind of have a tendency to get churchified, right? And we know that God rescued us, maybe from addiction or some, you know, lifestyle of sin. And then we get into the church and it's like, well, I can't talk about that anymore because I'm kind of churchy now. <laughs> right? And, and we just kind of go with the flow and it's like, well, I mean, you know, kind of everybody seems to have their act together. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that we should glorify the, the life that God has rescued us from right? We don't want to glorify, uh, you know, sinful things. But when we give witness to the, to the reality of sin and what God has redeemed us and rescued us from, he gets the credit. He gets the glory. When we wear our stories on our sleeves, other people get to know, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. God has done something in your life. And as you bear witness, he gets the glory. He gets the credit. To practice this, just start your small groups. Just start telling your story in, in small groups. Start as you're talking to your, your friends. Maybe they've never heard the story of how you turned your life over to Christ. Maybe it was many years ago and you've stopped telling it. Start telling it again. And I just want to warn you, I have been praying specifically leading up to this message that God is going to put you in situations where you have no choice but to talk about your faith in Christ. So just so you know, I'm praying towards that uh, for you. So if this week that happens, you can blame me. As you abide, you will bear witness. Just let's picture this again, this picture that Jesus is painting in this part of his teaching. We have been chosen out of the world and we are abiding in Christ, but then we are on mission with Christ and we are with Jesus moving intentionally into the world and receiving hatred but ministering in love. That we love each other and that we're inviting others to respond to the truth and reality of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is redeeming and rescuing sons and daughters who are perishing and we get to be a part of that. That it's going, there's going to be a headwind but we're not called to war we're called to the same kind of ministry that Jesus had. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we get to be part of that mission with Jesus. As you abide, as you abide, you will be opposed. As you abide, you will be empowered. And as you abide, you will bear witness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now specifically for those men and women who are struggling to let go of something. Lord, you tell us that even repentance is a gift. And so, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in a very powerful way into our hearts and assure us that you're with us and let us let go of whatever we have in hand that's keeping us from you. Lord, I pray for a heart of surrender among us, a heart of dependence, a heart of repentance 
that we would be good repenters and that as we wander away from you, you would call us back. You would shepherd us back. You would encourage us back. That you would work through the various gifts that you've given us as a church and that as we speak to each other, we would abide in you and build each other up. Be on mission for you each and every day. Lord, I pray that you would give us those opportunities to bear witness to what you've done in our life this week. Put your truth on our lips in a way that we can't avoid it. Lord, I pray that you would clarify for us in our own minds what you're calling us to do, how you've equipped us to do it, and of your presence with us. Lord, we surrender to you. Fill our sails of dependence with the wind of your spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name.